Hello and welcome to You Made Me Watch That, where two film studies professors aim to expand each other's cinematic knowledge one recommendation at a time. I am your co-host, Wickham Flanagan. And I am your co-host, Colleen Kennedy Carpot. This episode, we are discussing the lovely Tilda Swinton. Yes. And all her infinite wisdom, focusing on my recommendation, the immortal classic, Constantine. And my recommendation, The Souvenir, parts one and two, which we are very conveniently combining with the Cinema Society's back-to-back screening of The Souvenir, parts yes. one and two, uh, which happened earlier this week. And we both were fortunate enough to catch the entirety of that screening, leaving behind our, our um, dear families for long enough to get through all of it. <laughs> yeah. Which is a feat in and of itself. So no, there, there's something that. There is something fun. I used to do this thing where I would find weird movies to do double features with. Like I would do Mothman Prophecy with Black Dynamite or just like find bizarre combinations. But it's always nice to do double features because the, I don't know, the fatigue of it becomes part of the fun, especially when it's a continuing story. It's not something super contrasting. So I do appreciate watching them back to back. Um, I, I want to do that with Dune as well, but I think uh, Alev is jonesing to watch Dune uh, because of the sound design. She heard a lot of cool stuff about that. But um, anyway, which one do you want to start with? You want to start with The Souvenir? Uh, sure. Okay. I think The Souvenir in both of its parts is an absolute triumph for female subjectivity. Okay. Would you care to expand upon that? Uh, I would rather maybe get your <laughs> opinion first. Well, no, um, I, mean, I, 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 I can maybe, um, um, you know, add some spice to the discourse for that. Um, I saw the souvenir, the, just the first part, before there was even an inkling that there would be a second one. Um, but the souvenir, both parts are largely autobiographical. Um, this is Joanna Hogg lightly fictionalizing her own experience as a film school student in uh, London in the 1980s. And so she focuses in the first film on a very specific period of about a year, I think, in her in her life um, and some very traumatic things that happen in that year. And then in, the, in part two, it sort of kind of shifts into a faster gear where we see quite a bit more time in terms of the story time and it sort of brings us up to the end of the 80s the fall of the berlin wall is referenced the music changes pretty drastically and that i think is also a really strong foothold in you know the moment that she's trying to give us um but I, i i appreciated this 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 use of fiction film or at least the modes of fiction to express autobiography i mean that's a trend um, particularly, I think, in women's cinema, that is a welcome one. And to have somebody of her stature who has established herself, who has a significant filmography to go and, and start telling her story of you know, forming herself as a director and the experiences that she had for this uh, and the kinds of experiences that she's now making into a film. Um, that's I, I, I think that's it, it, it's so great that the first one got made at all and that the fact that she got to expand on it for the sequel in I think an even more assured and and in a really directed way in a targeted kind of manner I, mean, I think it really was was souvenir her first film goodness no <laughs> this is not her first film why why are you saying that it is a triumph that she got it made at all I just I think that autobiography in this way is not really something that we've seen quite a lot of 
I mean, we, we have biopics as a genre. Well, you're, you're rolling your eyes at me. But we have biopics as a genre. But, I mean, to use this the mode of fiction film to, to tell a story that is lived experience. And this is, of course, what you know the character in the film is also doing. So yes. there's a real mise en abeam of this process as she herself is doing it. But, I mean, there are moments in these films where... Um, especially in the second one, although, I mean, the first one is you know more harrowing in different ways. Um, but there are moments where, you, where I, mean, I find myself thinking, if you didn't know that this was autobiographical and that obviously she has come through this level of adversity personally herself, you know, it would be even more excruciating. But even just to relive some of these moments is just, it, it's... I mean, there are moments of, of, I think, feeling seen in the sharing, the sharing of experience, the, the ability to relate to this character, who it sometimes is maybe not so terribly fleshed out and, and doesn't have a whole lot of depth. And I think that that ends up being you know, part of the commentary that she's making on her own experience, that this was not a time in her life when she felt like there was depth that is something that she could yeah, they, communicate they sort of through film. hinted that with the kind of very oh brother where art thou um premise of the movie that she's pitching initially which is like a son is who's obsessed with his mother in like a poor part of town she wants to speak to the more lower class experience that she does is not super familiar with Mm -hmm. like she wants to say something is like reflective of her seeking depth and kind of her work that Mm -hmm. she ultimately wants to make i think that was the beginning of her yeah. Film school career. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of the particulars about this character, Julie Hart, in these films uh, echoes Joanna Hogg's own experience. She kind of comes from a background of some privilege. She was friends with Tilda Swinton, the actual Tilda Swinton, when they were in like yeah. some prep school together. And so they go way back. Um, I think Tilda was cast in The Souvenir before her daughter was. And, and that's also a level of casting that I, I appreciate, that there is this you know sort of genetic... Uh, heritage that's being given um, to the next generation through the casting in this film, which I think is a really meaningful gesture on her part. You're holding your breath. You're, I'm you're, holding you're, my breath. You're, you're, you're timing your attack. I'm timing my attack. <laughs> so anyway, I Tilda. loved it. I yeah. loved it. Triumph of you like both female parts subjectivity. Equally? I liked. I think the second one is better. Um, Clearly, precise, it's but, better. Okay, but precisely because of the depth. I mean, I think the first one is um, there's there's too much of the toxic boyfriend who I just want to throw that's into the, the whole, sea. That's the whole movie. It's, no, but it isn't. Is the thing there? There's there's her relationship with with the film school education as well, right? Which also ends up becoming more of the second movie in a way that I think sort of needles that particular oh, it's experience. So, yeah, it's so in much more ways. Yeah, it's so much more expanded and is more snarky and is more of a perspective in the second movie. Um, I, I'm going to be very specific here. I really did not like the first souvenir specifically. Um, it felt very film school to me in a, in a bad way where if I had not known any better, I would have thought this was someone's first movie. Because it had that quality of this, this sort of meta-ness of like, oh yeah, we're going to reference the process of filmmaking as some sort of like artistic choice. It reminded me of like tiny furniture. Ooh. I know. Ooh. Which I is, is a mean thing to say. <laughs> some people really like tiny furniture, but the the weird 
kind of glowing critical thing. And I'm not looking at this from a perspective of, you know, Joanna Hogg's film career. Maybe this is an interesting departure for her. Maybe it is something very personal that she's bringing this, this, um, this journey that she had that she's putting forth creatively maybe has more value if you know her career or know the types of movies she's making. But the entire time it felt very winsomely self-indulgent to me. And, and the, and the boyfriend thing was another part of that kind of film school cliche of like, Oh, he's addicted to drugs. Like that always is a thing in like, <clears throat> movies you make in school, it's like, well, we have to make it interesting. So someone is addicted to drugs and we're going to have a scene of this addiction taking root. And there was nothing surprising about how that relationship played out. There was nothing surprising about how it was depicted. And so I kept viewing it from this incredibly detached perspective. And so every little glib film school reference of like, oh, it's like the psycho shower scene but the emotions are the are the knife, but we don't see them because they're edited. I was just like, what the heck are you talking about? What does this have to do with anything? And and it, it became so frustrating because all of these things that you described, this this kind of winsome, the, the, the oh yes, and it's Tilda Swinton and we're bringing her daughter and there's all this connection. It's the mother-daughter thing and this, it's so interesting because they're mother and daughter in real life, and she's going to film school. It all just had this air of um, pretension to it that I could not immerse myself in at all. Even when we get to the second film, there are elements of that that I could completely see as being infinitely more engaging and infinitely more um, you know, self-deprecating and sort of acknowledging the creative process. But there was something about this focus on this boyfriend character who, you know, I want to be clear here. There's nothing objectively bad about any of the performances. I thought um, uh, Honor Swit uh, Swinton Brine did a very good job playing this kind of nothing character, as you described. I liked um, Tom Burke's voice, yeah. this kind of arrogant, charming British voice yeah. that he brings. But... I was just so fed up with it. And then like the the looking at the camera near the end and I'm supposed to go, oh, you know, I'm supposed to go, oh, she sees me. It's it's so meta. It's so it's so beautiful what is happening. So I don't know if I was just in the wrong headspace, but even like the opening of the movie was just so like you need a hook. You need something to grab an audience. And it just opens with a chaotic party that then devolves into a very lackadaisical romance and that we know is not going to go well, but she kind of perpetuates it. And so, yeah, I was just continually kind of not, um, not uh, trying to maybe be immersed, but constantly viewing it with this kind of lens of this feels manufactured. And I understand that that is not I understand that that is not what you got out of it, but that well, is how I see Well, it. I have to say, I think that this resistance to immersion is definitely true when you see it the first time. I think I benefited quite tremendously from having seen it, seen both of the parts before separately, and then watching them both back to back this time. Because taken as a whole, things resonate differently. And sort of knowing where we're going with the whole, this, this, there is something deeper about this sort of kind of flashes 
you know, the 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 placement of the ellipses, the fact we don't that we don't really know how much time is passing. Right. I mean, how long does this relationship even go on in the first movie? It's really, really hard to pinpoint this. And the only reason it feels shorter is because now with the second part, like that obviously goes on a lot longer and she takes a lot of care to insert, you know, period references to you know like what was going on in the 80s again the music plays a bigger role whereas in the first one like you have a, a bunch of opera this sort of high class like everything goes to this like weirdly affected high class vibe which it's it's very uh, it's ambiguous whether that is supposed to be affiliated with her or with the boyfriend. I think it's it's with it's associated with the boyfriend, but yeah. she's the one paying for everything ultimately. Right. So it's this it's I mean the symbiosis is sort of built into those really weird and stilted settings, and the conversations that they have and so on. Um, but I think all of that stiltedness, what I maybe would retroactively get more out of. That had a detrimental effect on the more pot for me, on the more positive aspects of the second part, because that is obviously what it's cribbing a lot of the emotional uh, truth from, or at the very least, what she's sort of drawing on for her art. And you know, we can dip into the second part now a little mm -hmm. bit, but like the art and the the kind of the the things surrounding the creation of it was really interesting in the second part, but the thing that it was emotionally stemming from i had no I, I i had no feeling relation to in relation to it the first time around so even as an application of it it still felt kind of stilted like i did not know enough to be drawn into that relationship and i understand that that was done intentionally what you described like the the time and the you're not quite sure of um how they how they're getting along or who's paying for what but well, it's pretty clear that she's paying for, for most everything of it, yeah. and always lending him money. Yes. And, and it is. It's like if you step back and, and look at it clearly, it's very obvious. And again, this comes out in the second part where the actor who is playing the trash boyfriend basically has to come to shit. Like, I, it just this would be so obvious to anybody. How is this not obvious to this yeah. person who loves him? Exactly. But, that was but, the. But, 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 <laughs> this is, I mean, I think it, it comes in at the end with, with her relationship with her mother and her relationship with her family, which, which again, like, like the second part really answers a lot of the questions of the first one. At the very end of part two, and I hope this isn't spoiling, but this is also, um, you know, one of Tilda's best scenes. And she, she lights a cigarette in her daughter's apartment. Oh, mom, you know, you're smoking. What does dad think about this? Well, he pretends not to know anything about it. Oh, well, he must really love you. This you know, willful barrier building and ignorance of what is patently obvious to anyone, what is being revealed to bunches of other people is in this, in this, in this upper crust, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant environment, it is a form of love, and it is a very toxic and twisted form of love in and of itself. There are relationships where it can work, and we, we see sort of the model of the relationship. So she's where just ignoring the heroin addiction because she, she's, yeah, she loves him. It is, and, it, and it's, and it, you can you can tell yourself this narrative like it's about privacy, it's about respect. Like I don't have to ask questions about this. And again, when when you're in your early twenties. And and you live you have lived this sheltered life. I mean, she tries to you know expand her horizons with, 
you know, this I mean, it sounds like a nothing burger of a story about a boy obsessed with his mom. And, and, and her, yeah. her teachers are trying to say, why don't you do something closer to your own experience? Which is ultimately what Joanna Hogg is doing with these movies. She's literally I know, making so, her own experience. It's but so it's, meta. But it's but I mean what's striking is like she doesn't get this at the time. And and the method that these the, the these you know film dudes are using in class is so condescending in its way that you know, of course she's not responding receptively to the way that they're presenting like they, these things. They could have pushed those characters more, like they were relatively Oof. realistic. <laughs> um but like See? for the for the commentary of what they're saying to like they're they are they're just kind of there they don't necessarily add much the the one person i loved in the first one and the second one was richard iode mm. because he cut he cut to the you know cut yeah. to the chase yeah and that was so refreshing to yes. hear someone with a modicum of charm and wit say things that we were all thinking um but in the first one, he's criminally underused, and then yeah, they clearly realized in the second one, okay, we need to bring him back. <laughs> um, but that really stuck out at me as like a little bit of a heartbeat. I'm, I was reminded of Fleabag while watching this. Have you ever watched Fleabag? No, I have not. Fleabag is also sort of out of a, you know, I, I forget how old, old she is, but someone who is kind of sort of a coming of age story about someone figuring things out and relationships and things like that. Let me Let me look up the actress real quick. That's um, Phoebe. Yeah, Phoebe Walter Wal uh, Waller Bridge. Bridge. Uh -huh. There's just so much charm and like technique with like the constant fourth wall breaking stuff and the the specificity of the type of relationship that she has in the second season with a priest. And then it's 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 so much of a more interesting personal dive into someone's kind of creative subconscious than this was i feel and i and i kept helping being reminded of all the things that was she was sort of referencing or drawing on so you mentioned like the second part answers the questions of the first part i guess fundamentally the questions that were raised in the first part i was never engaged with and so when we got those answers i was sort of like oh this answer is more interesting than i thought it would be this is referencing stuff in the first one in a way that is more self-deprecating i love all of the i love because I've, I've been in that situation before where you're you're directing and you don't really know what you're doing and people are getting pissed off there was like oh there's some there's some tension there's a sense that she's acknowledging and the and the actor saying i don't know this guy i can't play this guy there was a sense that the uh, joanna hogg was acknowledging the issues yes with the first one yeah. and i was like oh that's good yeah that's nice i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad she did that but it, it i don't know if that retroactively made the first one any kind of movie I would want to want to watch again. Um, and, and so, yeah. So did, are you understanding my perspective of being relatively weirdly? And I understand that I'm a Philistine. Okay. <laughs> I am. A, I'm a terrible person. No, you're not a terrible person um, at all. I, I, but I, the tiny furniture thing seemed very apt because it was like a, like a, a movie that was autobiographical. That was from kind of a, a rich perspective that is that is sort of trying to be about more than what it is. Yeah, but Tiny Furniture is a, a, a film made, made by Lena Dunham. And this mean, was that this was, was her first. It movie. was her first. Yeah. only movie feature movie. That's a good question. I, I don't. I'm think not sure she's done any feature movies. She's since acted then. She a bunch. Went, yeah, she yeah, created. She went on to do Girls. Yeah, she, yeah. Which was really which really became her calling card. But she got a lot of good feedback on Tiny Furniture, and it's been years since I've seen it. 
Um, I really did not like Tiny Furniture. I mean, there were things to like about it, but yeah, I didn't understand the big love about Tiny Furniture either. I think it has a Criterion release. Yeah, but I yeah, mean, yeah. Tiny Furniture is a movie about a woman in her twenties reflecting on women in their twenties or herself in her twenties, and I think the value of the souvenir is that Joanna Hogg is not in her twenties anymore, and and again, like, this is why I say like the, both of them together are really driven by this subjectivity and this reflection and yet we have to dig for it in the first one to get this kind of reflection but it's it's that distance is really crucial i think she is taking herself or the you know this character that she has invented to play herself seriously but also at a distance at enough of a distance to understand like okay this is what i ended up becoming after this really harrowing experience. But how does that make for how does that make for entertaining viewing? I like I, how I, much are you bringing to the table, Colleen, in terms of like you bringing this this kind of analysis? Like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to be as objective like as just watching it, this distance, this protracted silences, this loss of time, these winsome poetic whisperings looking upon a horizon. None of these things, no matter how personal they are, they sort of have to reach us. Like I, I, I'm, I can't, I can't bring the. It, it, I guess. It feels like one should be presupposed to understand that perspective rather than the movie inviting us to interrogate it in that way. Yeah, maybe you're not the target demographic. Well, that doesn't feel that feels dismissive too. <laughs> every every demographic should be able to watch any movie, right? Oh, I disagree with that. But but a movie should have a clear way of engaging with you from a very very beginning. It should it should be immediately engaging. It should use storytelling devices and and commentary that is effective or original or doing things that are in any way eye catching. And so I what I will say as a positive. When we get to the end of uh, uh, the part two, the movie within a movie is great. Mm -hmm. I love the movie within the movie. It reminded me of um, Guy Madden, the like the Forbidden Room, like the constant weird shifting of genres and and the costumes and the hair changes and 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 the and it's like uh, have you ever seen Stardust Memories? No. Um, it's a very Fellini influenced uh, Woody Allen film. Hmm. So it's like several several layers you have to dig there but it ends with the movie within a movie them watching basically stardust memories um and it's also you know fellini in eight and a half is very self-referential so there was so much cinema history and stuff even uh synecdoche new york the idea of uh mm. the set of your life being the set but yeah the the very very end without spoiling it i feel like i was supposed to have this like mind-numbing like revelation of like oh how meta is this and i'm like yeah it's it's meta there was this air of like aren't you aren't you so impressed with what i'm doing with my own story that air that that there was like a arrogance there there was the the part where she's being self-deprecated and the people are complaining Oh. And then, and then I was like, okay, this is great. I love all this because <laughs> I feel the same way. I'm complaining in my own head, right? And then it would cut to like a tree, and there was like a, a song of like everybody's laughing, everybody's <laughs> laughing. I'm like, yeah, everybody <laughs> is laughing. How does that make you feel? Like, I could, I, I really 
felt as super at odds with the perspective and i and i and i don't know i don't know necessarily exactly why except that it 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 really rubbed me the wrong way huh uh those same sequences you're talking about the first is around the table with her film school teachers. yeah that that i mean all that felt very true and i could definitely I'm, relate to most yes of that. and 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 this is i mean these are the two beats in the film actually there's first that sequence and then the one in the car where everybody is berating her and she's not yes. actually speaking like these are basically the overachieving woman's worst nightmares in terms of a scenario she's at this table with you know, men who are going to determine her immediate future at the very least and possibly her big time future i mean this is and women too there were no women in the second one as teachers. There was no, one no, woman. No, no, I was referring to the bus. The bus, yeah, the bus sequence is a bit more mixed, but in terms yeah. of the teachers... Yeah, yeah, I noticed I that mean, they were all men. That's really quite pointed. and I Because originally and in the first one, it's just the two teachers. It's, and they're, it, they're the center, yeah. yeah they're, and they reappear in the second one along with a couple of others. There is one woman on the teacher's side okay. of the script pitch in the first part. Okay. Um, who I didn't notice, who doesn't speak, which I think is also significant. And we never see her teaching. So again, like there's a, a real old boys school kind of patriarchal system within the film school that she's very visibly on the margins of. She's never in the middle of things. I mean, unless, and, and if she is in the middle of things, she looks massively uncomfortable being in the middle of things. Uh, and that's, I mean, I find that really relatable. And I yeah. think that that immediate situation of it really resonates and how she has to handle yeah. it. But anyway, yes, I mean, this, this, you know, sitting around the table, it is just like, you know, you start having this panic attack and her friend is speaking up for her. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I love the development of their friendship kind of towards the end of the first one and into the second one. Yeah. I mean, it's as, as a trajectory of relationships, it's interesting. But yeah, anyway, the second point is, is yeah, the van where everybody just kind of starts ganging up on her, but not in a sort of ad hominem ad feminum kind of way just sort of voicing their frustrations in a way that she is the target and they're kind of talking around her about her in this way um but at the same time it's like yeah she's got problems <laughs> she's not doing this very well and it's very clear yeah. on the set that she's not handling things very well yeah. and so i mean to me i think that that ability to be critical of the self in you know, again, like that's the benefit of this distance, and there is more of that in the second film. I think the second film is a lot better, but at the same time, like we needed the sort of. But going back to that, like in the in the movie within a movie, there's all these lines that are like voiceover from what he said mm -hmm. in the first part, and that it spoke. It just reminded me of how little was spoken of. Like he borrowed some quid, yeah. which is very kind of important. But all of their conversations felt relatively insignificant, maybe deliberately so, so that when that's reincorporated in this grand, dramatic, operatic fashion, it just reminded me how much I did not like <laughs> a lot of their seemingly, you know, random conversations that they had in the first part. So that was, I under, I completely get why you, you and many people I've talked to enjoy the second part because it is it feels very on that part feels very honest and it feels very relatable that i got completely but i kept it, it was kept being emotionally tethered to elements of that first souvenir well sure and so that to me always kind of knocked it down because i was not as invested so i forget someone said like oh were you just getting worn out 
as you were watching us. It's like a four-hour experience. Mm -hmm. No, it got infinitely better as I kept watching it. I started off at a really, really low spot, and then I kind of got more engaged with it. But um, I, I think there is this this level of I'm making this. It's a film, and it's autobiographical, and it's about film school, and it's it's going to be meta, but it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be about this relationship, and it's going to have all these references and um, film school lingo. And I just, I it really, it really rubbed me the wrong way. Whilst also appreciating, hey, you know, that's an interesting way to shoot that. That's a nice shot. I like all these weird inner inner you know cuts of random footage. Um, all the acting is fine. Tilda Swinton, who's the, technically the topic for this week, yeah, she's great. She is, yeah. But she's always great. Yeah. Um, I wanted her to be a vampire in this, but she's not. <laughs> um, but I, I hope that I'm I'm not being overly dismissive because I understand. But I can't help but look on the other side of this. So it's interesting if you go to Rotten Tomatoes. It's the first part is like ninety percent, and the second part's like ninety four, ninety two, or something. Really? Yes. So is the first right? first part was incredibly well received, yeah. but if you look at the audience score, oh yeah, it's got, not the audience be good. score for the first one is like thirty nine percent. Wow! And the audience <laughs> score for the second one's like eighty. Oh, is that right? Yeah, interesting. And to me, I am completely with the audience on this one. There is a critical darling quality to the first souvenir that I cannot reconcile with and i and i appreciate you bringing a lot to this and you appreciating aspects of it and being able to internalize it and and put a nice kind of spin on it but whilst i was watching it i could not be less uh engaged i mean i feel like for to fix the first one did you notice in the first one how she's got that wall of mirrors right yeah and there's a certain point where one of the mirrors is punched out. Did you notice this? No. You wanted to see where it got punched out, I think. And I simply noticed that one is punched out, and we don't see how this happens. But then that's it's this is this is the thing. I mean, the first one we do it, it see is, him writhing around on the floor we, in his own blood. But very, I mean. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of that, some of that is a bit much. But, but again, like she doesn't cut everything out. I don't think she can cut everything out because, as you said, I mean, there is this sort of you have to convince the spectator that it's very obvious that this guy has a drug problem, <laughs> and you know the signs are actually that. Like, it's not just other characters inventing something, or it's not hallucinatory. You know what I mean? Like, there needs to be some sort of visible evidence, but. It doesn't go so far as to showing the really obvious stuff, showing the violent outbursts that are probably happening pretty regularly. I mean, I sort of, I mean, and we don't even get this with like the therapist sessions in part two either. Like she doesn't recount those worst moments either. I think there's a lot of punches that she's pulling the, the from punching, like details about that relationship. The punching, I just had a memory. Um, when he steals all the stuff but pretends yeah. to have discovered it. Yeah. He punches something off camera. Do you think that's where he punched it? I don't think it sounded like a mirror, but you might be right. Yeah, he punched it, and he's like, I shouldn't have done that. Mm. But you don't see it, so it, it's up for debate. No, I, I, um, I, I felt on the other side of it, and I could not help but see the machinations of its construction, and they did not feel 
as earnest to me as the film wanted me to think that they were. There was a, there was kind of a forced quality, and then once the movie started to realize that or or contradict that or have fun with that or be playful in the second one, I was like, okay, all right. So there's a sense of self-reflexivity here to even the first movie that I can appreciate and enjoy. And so, you know, ultimately I, I, I do think I overall enjoyed the second part, but I, I think that it was also, again, tainted. And I, and I appreciate you all being so enthusiastic about it. And I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. Um, it's okay. You're allowed to not like things. I know, but it, like, I like, Doc, uh, Doctor Strange 2, okay, okay. Colleen? I so I spoken. feel like I'm a real piece of crap. No, that... <laughs> and Doctor Strange that? 2 has no nutritional value I mean... whatsoever, except for some good um, soundtrack work. Yeah. But my point is, it the souvenirism, it, it, the, constantly the souvenir is like going, you should like this. You should, it's, it's so meta. It's oh, about see, film I school. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't think of things in terms of liking anymore i think this is <laughs> this is a, this is what becoming an academic does to you i find i mean is, is this an enjoyable ex viewing experience the first one i don't think is on basically any level except maybe the performance okay, so, right okay but well, that's a that's but, an interesting spin on it you were yeah, no. more academically engaged with it and yeah. so it permeated something that made you yeah. think about it right yeah so yeah but okay. i mean that's what i look for in okay things. okay I did not do that for me, and yeah. I was upset by other stuff. But I, yeah. that at least contextualizes. I will say what your take probably and what again. Like I'm just so glad that the second one happened because of a couple of things. I think the first one is, you can just imagine Joanna Hogg like pitching this movie, this autobiographical. I had this garbage relationship with this garbage dude, but of course it was you know enthralling and that like they're they're you know. They go to Venice. The, the going to Venice really reminded me of um, in Frances Ha when she's just like, "I'm going to Paris." Yeah, yeah. yeah. They don't do. Like, they don't do anything there. Yeah. No, and it's like it's supposed like she builds us up into this big revelatory experience. I'm going to find myself, and like they're going to go to Venice and find their couple, and it's just and it's a disaster on both counts. Like, well, it's it's a really... those, all her stuff was stolen, right? Yeah. Well, yes, yeah. and and there's all that. Um, yeah, there anyway. is that Frances Ha. Yeah, so there, I, was, there's I told that you about Don't Look Now. Don't Look Now is the best Venice movie because it depicts Venice as a cold, gray <laughs> maze of yeah. walkways yeah. And, a, and a dark, dark water. Um, okay. Don't Look Now is unfortunately about children dying. So, oh, I don't, well, okay. Yeah, I don't think you're going <laughs> to. It's a difficult movie for I'll me pass. to rewatch with the family, <laughs> yeah. but it's probably one of the best horror films I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, anyway. I, but, but I mean, I think she would have a much better shot as a female director, pitching some sort of romance, a troubled romance, no matter how cliched it is. Again, but it's an autobiography, so she can bring her perspective to this. And I mean, I just think that's a much easier sell than the aftermath. When that does well, when yeah. apparently it gets like a 90 on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, then she gets to make the second story, which is fundamentally more interesting, which is basically, it's not about getting a new boyfriend. It's about sort of the 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 network of relationships that she ends up building to fill that relational hole in her life that this guy kind of came in like a whirlwind and destroyed surreptitiously almost and it was yeah. really his death that you know caused the whole edifice to come crumbling down but this this friendship that she develops with what's his name Marlowe 
um, which again starts in the first one when she sort of returns to film school after they break it off. Uh, you know, so I mean, there are relationships that build in the second one, especially the relationship with her mother. And here again is where you know Tilda's presence, I think, is really just yeah, just invaluable. We get to see Tilda as. As I mean, if Tilda were not Tilda Swinton, star of stage and screen, this is probably the kind of life that she would have led. I mm-hmm. think just you know some sort of Tony, you know, married to a gentleman farmer, taking ceramics classes, which we still didn't talk about. This like one of the best moments in the second film is when the sugar bowl breaks, and she's you know she she starts taking these classes, which you know she talks about in the first. one. I had totally forgotten that she mentioned it in the first one, but she mentions to garbage boyfriend that she wants to start taking classes by the second movie she has been taking these classes and she's making little artifacts as they call them and she's going to fill the house with artifacts but her first one is a little like janky little mm-hmm. um sugar bowl that where the lid doesn't fit but she's so proud of it and they're using it around the house and then you know, in a moment of of I don't know, forgetfulness or, or, or whatever, you know, Julie goes to put it on the mantelpiece and it comes crashing down and we cut to Tilda who is heartbroken <laughs> like somebody has just stabbed her heart with a knife because her sugar bowl is broken but she you know it's it's only because the camera's on her that we can see this i mean julie probably doesn't see us this is you know a total third person shot and it just that also encapsulates this this waspy attitude to life grit the teeth and keep going and you know the sugar bowl breaks and no it's just one of those things just just one of those things and mm-hmm. she says that i think three times <laughs> just one of those things like oh man watch out for the and dogs. julie's i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm so sorry and just that's it that's the mother-daughter relationship and if you don't see that as deep love there is something about that that you've missed <laughs> i think and again, like that's again very personal, and I relate to that kind of relationship on a very deep level. Yeah, that felt that felt yeah. very very true. And and, and that just that true. develops over the course of the film. You know, they share a couch and they're just they're chatting about stuff. I mean, it just it's wonderful that that relationship develops the way that it does. But again, right? I feel like most do. of that is in the like the the introduction. Yeah, most of that I think is in the second one as well. Yeah, but I don't think that the second one happens without the first one. I mean. She could have made the second one without the first one. I think she would agree that it's probably the more interesting story. But how does she get industry support for that movie without showing the druggy boyfriend? I don't think it happens. And I mean, this is why I, you know, on the whole, this is a triumph for female subjectivity. She takes us through the cliched stuff in a non-cliched kind of way. In a lot, you know, with these inserts, with the, you know, again pulling but some even punches that to with me the real felt cliched of a of an arty film school movie, to me personally. Well, it's that's possible, but I don't know that there would have been another way to succeed at it. Well, that's my that's my point. I don't think it does succeed. Well. <laughs> I think there's where we part ways. Yes, yes. Uh, the successfulness of it. And I appreciate that you yeah. have stuff to chew on. Um, and I'm a little bit more dismissive. And I understand that. But I um, I do very much appreciate watching it. I do want to say, like, you know, I've been watching, being exposed to all these new directors for, for like, uh, Double Life of Veronique or Portrait of a Lady on Fire and, and um, or even Power of the Dog most recently. I hadn't mm-hmm. seen um, any of her movies before that. And I don't really think I want to watch too much of uh, Joanna Hogg's other stuff. So, 
Um, but I appreciate, I mean, I still, uh, Tilda Swinton brings a lot of, I mean, she's technically our topic for this episode, she not is, Joanna yeah. Hogg. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tilda Swinton brings a lot to the role. Yeah, she and, does. Uh, and she always does. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't want to, but I, I, can we go, can we give a big kind of asterisk here and talk about I am love for a second? <gasps> yes. I am love has nothing to do with anything. Well, no, it does because this is the film that both of us were like, have you seen I am love? So we can talk about Tilda Swinton. So we can talk about Tilda Swinton. I am love. And this is the main distinction I want to make between this and like, and I understand that it's an apples and oranges sort of thing, but a, a torrid romance, a romance movie that has a fairly cliched story. I am love has a fairly cliched story, but it is, it is all about the execution. It, 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 it's such a sumptuous movie. It is basically kind of a throwback to melodramas in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it has like 80% or something around Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know what people are, you know, I'm I don't know shocked. what the heck is going on there. I am love is fantastic. I am love is one of the best films I have, <laughs> I have ever seen, especially within the genre. Yeah. Um, but and, it's that same brand of Tilda, right? It's yes. It's Tilda as wealthy, sort of patrician. Yeah, so that's why I was sort of yeah, reminded yeah. of it. Yeah, it's, it's very much in the same, although I think it's it's a little more continental <laughs> in its portrayal of wealth and cosmopolitanism and stuff like that. Guadagino? Guadagnino? Guada, yes, Luca Guadagnino. Uh, Guadagnino, thank you. Um, I will continue mispronouncing everything. Um, but I just... It was just such a stark contrast of just in terms of technique. I understand it's not a it's not an autobiographical thing. It's yeah. going for something else, but I just that is kind of what I crave is that raw, cinematic quality of engagement of just like when when Tilda Swinton. So the basic premise of it is she falls in love with a chef, and has kind of a tour affair. And then I remember something tragic happening near the end, but I don't re- either remember specifically what happens, nor do I want to spoil it for everyone. Someone dies. I don't think it's at the end. I or think it's... It's like so a three-hour movie. It is. It's long. Um, I think it's at the beginning. I think that's how she ends up in the affair with the chef, right? Like no, 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 no. Her... There, there's something else that happens at like a dinner party oh. in the second half. Well, I mean, anyway, yeah, 81% on who... What is going... <laughs> it stumbles like... into melodrama, but I Am Love stumbles. backs up... What the hell? Stumbles. Anyway, there's... You... <laughs> the costumes, the environments the way things are shot oh, the when maximalist she, score the maximalist score the it's credits fantastic. when she even the opening credit sequence you're like ooh, it's like an oil painting it is yeah. when she eats the food of the chef that she's going to fall in love with it, it it's like a it's like a sensory overload experience so maybe that is what i look for in something in a movie is something so cinematic in that way and that is not what at least the first souvenir is particularly or maybe it's in, it's in a different in a different realm. I, yeah. But but okay. It, you you can't deal with Protestant restraint. I can't on deal screen. with unless it's like Age of Innocence. Protestant. That's not. That's, yeah. But that's not restraint. Yeah, it's not restrained in a lot of different ways. But that's, the characters very, are restrained. Like but, we we are supposed to point and go, they're holding back and. But even and like Portrait of a like, Lady, or that's that's restrained in a sense, right? It is. And I but I could really get emotionally a, yeah. invested. Yeah. I mean, in that. again, but that's a different register of restraint anyway anyway point yeah. being i am love it's from these two yes. film <laughs> teachers is fantastic yeah that's a universal and recommendation everyone should podcast. watch it yes it is beautiful it is so well made it's and hot. tilda swinton it's a very hot movie it's very hot apparently yeah 
And <laughs> and Tilda Swinton is magnificent. She is, it. yeah. She's yeah. luminous. She's also good, and we need to talk about Kevin, but that's which a, I am not watching. Lynn for... Ramsey joint. Yeah, that's another, and I'm no. <laughs> it's a fantastic movie too. But anyway, I, I Tilda Swinton sure we both is. love very much. Yes. In in such films, we don't. I don't know how much you how long you want to talk about. Our, no, but <laughs> well, we have film. to, I mean, because the topic is Tilda, we have to sort of swing the pendulum in the other direction. Yes. Because we've talked about patrician, wealthy, cosmopolitan yes. Tilda, and now we have to go to Dingy. ethereal character actors. Okay, okay. Which which also <laughs> builds on um, a film we've already recorded, um, Only Lovers Left Alive, right. in which she plays a vampire. Yes. And I, as I told you at the screening, I just imagine her wearing that yak hair wig just around yes. the house. <laughs> I wanted Tom Hiddleston to show up and bite someone on the neck. Well, and well, yeah, you always the souvenir. Do. I yeah, mean, why, why not? But um, anyway, Constantine, the Constantine. 2005 film directed by one Francis Lawrence. Yes, um, is one of the latter categories <laughs> of, of Tilda film. She wears a nice suit. She does. The, the costuming generally in this yeah. film, I think, is very well done. Um, Tilda is not in this film very much, but boy, she no. commands attention when she's there. No, and I think that is maybe the the kind of so Constantine is not is not in the same ballpark as you know. I think most people would agree. Um, it is not a souvenir, even though I like it a lot more than a souvenir. A part one, at least, it's not a I am love situation, but I think it it really it got short sh shrift when it came out. It got critically panned. Um, Keanu Reeves was very much interested in doing another one. It was going to be like a yeah. post-Matrix kind of franchise for mm -hmm. him. A, a comic book movie before comic book movies really took off. Yeah, barely before. Barely I before. Uh, yeah. It was like right around when, you know, Blade and, and that sort of Wasn't thing. Wasn't that also when Ang Lee was making his Hulk? Probably. Which also tanked. Yeah, before um, the, I guess the cinematic. They found their rhythm. The cinematic universe, let's say. Well, they found, they found a, a, a vein to tap into, let's say. But um, Tilda Swinton, yes, plays the archangel. Gabriel. Gabriel. Yes. yes. And she's great. She is. She's very memorable. There's some really great line readings in this film. Yes. Um, mostly Keanu. You're, you're effed. She says that to. Something like about that. About you're, you're wanted by the devil or you're wanted by God. You're effed. <laughs> she has a very great sort of matter of fact. But she says it as a Tilda Swinton yes. sort of elegant way. Yeah. But she's using her androgyny very effectively. Yes. And she's cast for it as well. Yes. Obviously. Um, but yeah. she, she classies up the movie. And that, that is kind of the weird thing about the movie is as Constantine, you know, is a detective man played by Keanu Reeves, who is helping with demons. I, I, he's a, <laughs> he's <laughs> doing, he's dealing with demons. He's, he's a one they man. Kind of titled at that. He's a one man, dirty, hairy, ghostbuster demon man um i forget what his whole motivation is he's dying right yes yeah, so of lung cancer because he will not stop smoking so there's a kind of fun pulpy noir quality to him keanu reeves is fun in it he is yeah he clearly enjoys being it's a very in good it. keanu film yes mm -hmm. i don't think it's his best no keanu film no um but, but he, it, 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 yeah. it, it, it's better that he's in it than if he wasn't yes. in it. Who else would do that? I just, I don't, I don't know that the character works at all if it's anybody else. Well, in the dirty Harry tradition, I could see like a Clint Eastwood, like in his prime. There's, there's, does Eastwood do irony? 
does Keanu Reeves do irony? Yes. <laughs> I don't he know. He's so irony. He's so, he's so, in so neutral many faced. But I think that's part of the point. Is point break ironic? Oh, there's a lot of it that is. Yeah. That's there's a, a lot of it that is. But there's a lot of it that isn't. Yeah. There's this Is the Matrix ironic? Is is uh What's it? Is the lake house ironic? I, anyway, I have not seen the lake house. This is no, not a Keanu Reeves episode. It's not. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I think this also gets to one of the qualities of Tilda Swinton. She's yeah. amazing in everything. Yes. But she is often a very strong part of an amazing ensemble. And that yeah. is something really to her credit. That and sometimes questionable in movies. Sometimes questionable movies. But, I mean, she's uh, she's a, just really a key link in a chain. When you've, I'm thinking of, like, Burn After Reading. Yeah. Which she's in for, I don't know, a yeah, grand yeah. total of maybe three minutes. But <laughs> She but, plays but, uh, yeah. the counter, uh, um, counter, uh, George Clooney's... Wife, yes. Suffering. Again, with the... the Tony Patrician kind of um, side of things, but she's, in in DC, so she's you know a diplomat's wife in the sense that so she's you know she's an American, I think, in that one. Yeah, uh, maybe. maybe. A- anyway, she's she's yeah DC diplomat wife. Um, and Suspiria, she's basically the ensemble. She's three different <laughs> people. And that that's the, that's it. of course she plays three different characters in a film. Like it just, I mean, Okja, so much yeah, of what like she the does Bong just Joon, gets the yeah. Bong Joon Ho. Yes. she she pops in and is like, "I'm going to steal this scene." Yeah, and Snowpiercer every oh, time God. she's in it. Okia, same thing. Just she's in Doctor Strange as well. Yeah, so she kind of steals those scenes. So she yep. she is in a lot of stuff. And I would say that the ensemble in Constantine is very very good. Really Rachel good. Weisz. Yes. She's classing very good. up yeah. the film. It's terrific casting all around, honestly. I think it, it all hangs together surprisingly well. I think I'm also presupposed to enjoy personifications of kind of these biblical figures. Ah. Because I find, especially when it's done in kind of a cheeky way, which Constantine kind of does. So I also really enjoy Peter Stormare as the devil. Right. The head nihilist. Yes, yes, the head nihilist. <laughs> I don't know if that's a reference. I texted you when I was watching. Yes. The head nihilist. <laughs> Here he is. He has a nice. He it. has a nice suit. Yeah. He's in a lot of stuff. Peter I'm Stormare. sure. I'm sure. Um, but he he is so yeah. fun, and he's only in the movie again, like Briefly, Tilda, yes. for like ten minutes. But yeah. he steals it as the mm-hmm. devil, and that's the thing with Constantine. I mean, Shia LaBeouf, maybe notwithstanding, he can get a little bit annoying. Um, he was angling for like more of a career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie. He was looking for more of a career. <laughs> he he has been in better movies since then. But um, uh, Constantine, I just think of as kind of this this little kind of underrated supernatural gem that has all of these great people giving out great kind of fun performances. Yeah. And I I think of Tilda Swinton as being very much part of that. I also could also associate her weirdly with the um. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe ah, movie, where she yes. plays the Ice Queen. Yes. And I was like, ooh, this Ice Queen. On the magical creatures side of things. She's got something. But that's also a kind of an interesting ensemble, because you have James McAvoy uh, ahead of his time. Oh, he, he's the... Tumnus. That's it, yeah. He's the goat. I don't think I saw those movies. I have read the books. I saw it in I theaters. I saw the first Chronicles I, of Narnia in theaters. I, yeah. There were people giving out uh, church pamphlets. Oh, God, of course there were. Yeah. The, the, it, there's a lot of CGI, poor CGI animals in it, but it's not. <laughs> it's not bad. 
Um, mm. uh, there's obviously a fun Turkish connection to C.S. Lewis mm. as well. Do you fun know? is one way to put it. Is it not? Is it terrifying? Can you expand upon that? All I, I know is the Turkish delight. Yes, it is. It's well, it's a very Orientalist. <laughs> I think. But I Aslan is and the Aslan is the, the lion who yeah. is the Jesus allegory. Spoilers. Um, um, <laughs> that's spoilers. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's. I like my Protestantism to come through in restraint and not in visible religious allegory. <laughs> I think that's that's Apparently, where I land on that. Uh, Francis here. I don't know who this guy is. Um, Francis Lawrence mm -hmm. went on to make the Hunger Games movies. Yep. Yeah. Uh, specifically the second and part uh, one and two of the third one. So he kept making kind of high concept movies after mm -hmm. Constantine. Mm -hmm. Constantine seems to be his first film, well, which is cool. Yeah. Good for Francis. Kind of getting by in the industry. He, he made a weird spy movie called Red Sparrow. Anyway, Constantine, I understand that there's not that much to talk about. Um, it's a fun little... It was fun. It's a fun little Keanu Reeves movie. Yes. But it, I don't know. I enjoy it, and I think um, it gets... Yeah, it, got, it didn't make much money. Uh, Keanu Reeves went on to Colbert recently, I think, to promote maybe John Wick or something else. Or Matrix 4. Ah, and um, Colbert, who's a devout kind of Catholic, yes. um, he was like, I really loved Constantine. Can you do another one of those? <laughs> and Keanu Reeves was like, I've tried, Stephen. <laughs> I've tried to make another one. They won't, they won't let me. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's very sad to see Keanu Reeves resign to his fate <laughs> of just more John Wick movies and him, you know, <laughs> which are I, good, too. I, I which love are fun. the John Wick movies. Yeah, yeah. Let's not... That's I'm Let's, not at all no, bemoaning gonna, uh, John Wick. No, that um, first one was really a stroke of genius. I'm a, more of a fan of the second one. Oh, but is we that can, right? We can have a John Wick episode. The third oh, one man. is kind of, I don't know. I have to see the third one again. I guess the, they, the third one is just on Netflix. Or, it was or, recently, yeah. yeah. yeah it's more, the third one just feels like a series of good action scenes. It doesn't yeah, really feel like Yeah, I mean, like now it's like, now that they have the pressure to serialize, it, it's going to change That's, the tenor of it. That's the problem. Because like, the first one was just like... Let's get the gang together the and make second a one, movie, and we're yeah. going to put sad Keanu in an action role, and it just with Umberto D. It but just, the that, the it second really one great. nicely builds out the world, and I really appreciate it. Yes, that. yeah, the world building in John Wick is really top notch. But to to yeah. put it back on Constantine for a second, yeah. the action in it is not particularly good, even though yeah. conceptually is good. He punches a demon with some cross brass knuckles, and oh, his yeah. face goes flying off. And I don't think that, I mean, I don't, that's probably taken directly from the comics, but um, those are the kind of things that I don't think have been captured in cinema. I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen that before, and I don't think I've seen it since. I, is there room for Catholic demon fighting in the... John Wick. In Marvel Cinematic Universe. In the D, is, is Constantine DC or Marvel? I have no idea. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Because if it comes from comic books... There was a TV show, Constantine what? TV show. Really? Yeah. See now that seems like it could work pretty it well. It could. Yeah, you not not with Keanu, in, obviously. But, no, but you could bring that into the world somehow. Like just throw a demon in with the Avengers and just be like, you know who we need to call. Well, I told you they're going to do a new Blade. They're going to bring vampires in. Oh god! So that's well, close then, to demons. We're getting there. Is Tilda going to be a vampire? But no, she's already in. Doctor we already Strange. have witches. I mean, they really they want everyone in Hollywood to be in a single movie. I mean, this sounds like the setup. For, <laughs> this sounds like the setup for some like horrible. Like disaster, right? Everybody in Hollywood is going to be on the set of the Avengers in the same day, and then like 
that's what the day. The Have you seen Avengers is. Endgame? No. There is a. <laughs> is that basically? What oh happens? God! I mean, it's good in its own way. Tilda Swinton shows up in it uh, as well. <laughs> but there is a without going into it, there is a uh, ceremony scene at the end, and there is just this long panning shot of all these different actors, and you and it's supposed to be this emotional moment because of what the ceremony is about. But you're just sort of like just aghast of like. That person's in it. That person's in it. <laughs> yeah. I forgot that he was in it. <laughs> Who is that person? What movie? And it's amazing and yeah. and horrifying because yeah. it's like this weird uh, conglomeration of Hollywood. Yeah. Like yeah. it's like oh yeah I guess uh, Michael Douglas is in this. Oh yeah, he was in the Ant Man. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's just weird. Anyway, no uh, Michael Douglas uh, not related. But Tilda Swinton is good in her little ensemble in the Doctor Strange. She plays a wise mystic mentor figure uh, also playing with her androgyny but anyway tilda swinton we love you um come on the show sometime we'd love to hear you talk about working on the souvenir or um, literally anything um, maybe you won't yeah. want to come after hearing my <laughs> opinion of <laughs> I the would souvenir listen to tilda swinton explain how she made <laughs> breakfast sandwiches yesterday i mean honestly <laughs> She is. She I, is so good. My bar is good. very low. <laughs> she just imme- She just has that screen presence. Like uh-huh. even when she's like doddering around in the souvenir, it's like my eyes she go. Never daughter. She she kind of when mm-hmm. she first walks in, she's kind of. She, I'm sorry. She just has, because she's wearing a headscarf to protect her quaff. She's sort of hunched. Be, because she has a dog at her feet, <laughs> like the entire time in that well, movie, she has a dog at her feet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she's that's part of it. After the dog, she still looks very glamorous though. She's in just, her own Protestant yeah. house in the countryside. Yeah. yeah. We love you, Tilda. But um, that has been our episode. Uh... <laughs> you made me watch that as a production of the Department of Communication. Wickham and has ascended to heaven somehow <laughs> in the middle of that. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You made me watch that as a production of the Department of Communication and Design at Buchent University. You can support the podcast by subscribing with your favorite audio app and by following the Buchent Cinema Society on Instagram at Buchent Cinema, all one word. I guess we're out of screenings for the semester, though, aren't we? All right. So we cap off the semester of great ones with the souvenirs, part one and two. So we'll great see you in the fall. And inverted commas. This was the cinema event of the semester, and I refuse any counterindications our cover art was designed by denise vadi tongur thank you vadi our theme music was composed by dos Yozovsky, who you can follow on instagram and spotify and make sure to check out his latest release uzakuke this episode was produced by tylan akul and the bilkent cinema society with extra teshekular to our tech wrangler ozjan akar and now over to wickham for this episode's special thanks to i would like to give a special thanks to david lynch who I would love to see work with Tilda Swinton. Can you imagine? Oh, no. (laughs) Do you think that they would not get along? No, I think they'd get along maybe too well. I think that would be a nightmare from which I'd never awake. That's what I'm looking for. I I know that's what you're looking for. That's what I look for every time I watch a movie. Well, Tilda, you know who to call, I suppose. (laughs) Not me. Thank you all. Cheers. Thanks.